6. Very unfamiliar but fascinating scripture to my apostolic mindset. Bible said, and brother and sister Booth, some of my dear friends, anybody I can run to Houston with and eat at good restaurants, that's my friend. And you can tell I have no convictions about eating. And uh, he said there's plenty in the back, so we're going to say the benediction very quickly right here. Isaiah 36, 11 said, Then said Eliakim and Shebna and Jordan Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, unto thy servants in the Syrian language, for we understand it, and speak not to us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall. But Rabshakeh said, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to speak to the men that sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? Very unique scripture. Never heard another man preach on it, but I will tonight. I'm preaching from this thought, a contrast of words and ways. A contrast of words and ways. God bless you, Brother Cox, Sister Cox, for your great anniversary. I pray the blessings of God on this congregation and you can be seated. Allow me to step into my message tonight by telling you that I'm fixing to preach on something that I enjoy. I don't mean the platform. It's all right, but I don't just enjoy your platform. I love words. Don't know why. I just love words. In school, I wasn't much on math. Didn't much care for that. Didn't care a lot for trigonometry. I wasn't real interested in government, didn't have a great fascination with biology, I wasn't swept away with history, but I love words. I, I, I don't ever in my whole entire life remember getting excited about the square root of any quantity that anybody might mention. That didn't do a thing in the world for me, but I'll confess that I have eternally enjoyed the expressive articulations of, con uh, of conversely commanded communication that exuded apologetics as it pertains to erudite acuity of meticulous idiom parlance and lingua franca. I, I love words. I don't mind telling you tonight that I love words. And one of the reasons that I love words so much is because the Word of God tells us time and time and time again about the power of words. I have a little study that I teach from time to time, and it's about the power of words. Can I tell you that God taught us there is a creative power in words. God showed us in the beginning the meticulous flow that starts in Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 3, and it doesn't quit until all of creation stands perfect and pure in God's sight. And the impetus for all of it was simply nine verses that said, And God said. The next thing we need to understand is that there is healing in words. Uh, we find time again in the Word of God that there's healing power in words. We read in the Bible that He sent His Word and he healed them. 
Time and again we hear of people that use words that somehow transpose the atmosphere to speak to individuals that convey to them that God is still a healer. The Bible tells us of a man that laid at the gate begging for alms. And the Bible said that Peter and John come by. And when they look, he begins to beg for alms. But the Bible said that there were some words that were spoken that conveyed power to that man's mindset when they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And these words became the vocal vehicles of faith that transmitted faith to the hearer of the word. I'm glad tonight to tell you that there's healing in words. That's why something transpires in the atmosphere when somebody stands to their feet and begins to preach the Word of God. I want to tell somebody there's still healing in the Word. One week ago tonight, I, I, I didn't realize it until later. One week ago tonight, I was preaching in a church just on almost the, uh, the Louisiana-Texas border on the Texas side. And, and I, I work very closely. I'm a chaplain for a police department there. And, and I've been working with uh, the chief of police there. And, and I didn't realize that he had a lot of family that was uh, out there in, in this church that I was preaching at. He started attending. And, and what I didn't know is one week ago tonight, I was preaching the Word of God. And as I was preaching, when I got done, I mentioned in that message as well that God has healing in His Word. And there was a lady there who I had no clue was completely blind in her right eye. And as I began to preach, she began to get dizzy, they said. And she began to, to somehow see double, which was very odd, because she only had one good eye. And when she lowered her head and began to wipe her face, they said that suddenly it dawned on her that this blind lady was completely seeing out of her right eye. Hear me well today when I tell you he is still a healer he is still a healer over and over again we hear words were spoken to people whose broken bodies were mended, whose blinded eyes were opened, and the many maladies of mankind was brought to naught. And finally, there's warfare power in words. I'm glad today to tell you when God Almighty stood in a body, toe-to-toe -to -toe with the very face of the devil, in what you and I would call the temptation in the wilderness, I propose to you that when God stood in the devil's grill, He didn't say, give me a soundtrack, I need better music. He didn't say, give me a better schedule we need more efficient services he didn't say give me a proficient praise team i propose to you that it was the power of words that shook the devil's world jesus looked at him when he said command these stones be made bread and jesus said it is written man shall not live by bread alone when the devil said cast yourself down he said it is written thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god when the devil said worship me jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, 
Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Somebody better understand with me that it's written in the word of God that there is established warfare power in words. Thank God for the power of words. And it's right here at this juncture, the message that I've got to reach back to the heart of this church and remind you that God told us one and all in your Bible that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me go a little further tonight by telling you that even God regarded the power of words when it came to mankind. God stood one day as they built a tower to try to bypass God's providence. And the Bible said that God was building a tower. And God Himself told us that this Tower of Babel was absolutely unstoppable for one reason. How is it? He didn't say it's because they're so smart. He didn't say it's because they're so strong. He didn't say it's because they're so eloquent. God said they are unstoppable. When He said, and now nothing shall be withheld from them, which they intended to do for one reason only. He said because they're all of one language and of one speech. The only way we can mess up their progress, God said, is we've got to mess up their words. Stay with me just a little bit now. I'm going to get there. God said the only way to stop the progress of... God gave us a great lesson in humanity right there. God said the only way to stop the progress of some humanity is to mess up their words. So God confused their speech. And the Bible said they stopped an unstoppable power when somebody stepped into their world and said, I'm going to confuse your words. I'm going to make some words not make sense to you anymore. I'm going to give you words that don't compute in your spirit anymore. Touch your neighbor right now and say, humanity messes up when words get messed up. Watch this. God help me to preach this right tonight. God said there are some things that struggle when you succeed in confusing their words. There are people that cannot keep their progress right when you succeed in messing up words they thought they knew. Words they thought they had a grip on. And with that in mind that I come to this congregation today to tell you that you and I are in a church that's under attack by the adversities of the Almighty. The Bible tells us a story that I read to you tonight that there was an Assyrian army that was coming down to make battle against the people of God to the point that there were some key elements of the temple jeopardized. Stay with me now. Let me talk to you about these key elements for just a minute. These things, the leader of God's people at the time that I read the Scripture to you was a man named Hezekiah. And there had been quite a move of God under his reign and they had withstood the enemies of God and seemingly walked in the blessings of God. But the Bible tells us that in the sixth year of the reign of Hezekiah that there was a, 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 a besieging that took place by the Assyrians that found a way to attack the kingdom of God. Now stay with me. The Bible said that the Assyrians just didn't want to conquer them. The Assyrians understood that we can conquer them but they'll rise again. We can whoop them down but they'll stand up again. So the Assyrians said we've got 
to do more than conquer them. We've got to demoralize them. We have got to somehow humiliate them to the place that they stop trusting in God and they stop trusting in the church and they stop trusting. I'm going to preach to this church today. Don't you ever forget that hell's got a greater victory than to stick a cigarette in your lips. He knows you can backslide today and pray through tomorrow. But if he can get you to lose faith in the church, if he can get you to lose faith in the ministry, if he can get you to lose faith in the ways of God, clap your hands and love it. The Assyrian said, we can destroy him if we can get them to lose faith in the things of God. And the Bible said that somehow they come in to Israel, the church if you please, and they put it under siege. And they say the only way that you can stop the pressure that's on you, the only way that you can stop the adversary from trying to destroy you, uh, is you somehow got to listen to our words. What do you want, Assyria? Watch this. They said, the pressures, you're not under if you'll just do a few things for us. We'll stop. Watch what they said. They said, we understand that there's a law in the Hebrews that if you take a battle, you win a victory, that all the spoils of war have got to go to the house of God. We understand that when you take things like Goliath's sword, it's supposed to be left at the house of God. All the spoils of war are supposed to support the kingdom of God. So all the remnants of your past victories have to be brought to the temple. We want you to give us all of the remnants of your past victories. We want you to hand them over to us. We want all the silver and all the precious metals out of your treasury. And that's not all. Your temple is known for purity. You've got a golden door hanging on your temple. And besides that, the doorposts are covered with gold. Here's what we want. If you want to get the pressure off the church, you give us all the precious remnants of your battles past. Let us have that. And then let us take the purity of the doorway that goes into the house of God. Let us strip down the gold of the doorpost. We've got us. Are you listening to me now, church? The enemies of God were simply saying, we want the remnants of your past victory and we want your purity stripped away. It was the enemy's way of mocking those things that were precious in their world. Hang on to me. I'm going to get there. It was the enemy's way of humiliating the faith this church once held dear. It was the enemy's way of demoralizing the confidence of this struggling people. And seemingly all the enemy had to do was to tell them, we want all the remnants of your past victory. And we want all of the emphasis you have on purity to be taken away. And hell said, if I can get them to forget where they've been, if I can get them to let go of their purity, then I can humiliate them and forever cripple the people of God. So now, when they start taking the golden doors off and the gold off the doorposts, now when they start taking the remnants of vicious battles past, the Bible said they sent an evil and a vile general named Rabshakeh. 
And they sent him to the people of God as they're out there trying to build and restore these walls. Watch it now. The Bible said that they send Rabshakeh. And Rabshakeh is there a vile, deceitful man. And his only goal is to further humiliate the people. He's saying we've already damaged the church. But now we've got to humiliate them so that they never get their eyes back on the kingdom. We've got to cause them to lose faith. The, the church may be a little messed up right now, but we've got to get them to lose faith in God. We've got to destroy them. Watch. They said, we want the remnants of your past victories and we want your emphasis on purity in our hands. Now watch this. Great God Almighty. The Bible said that the enemy began to speak to them. And Rabshakeh says, You people, spend all your time talking about God. But look about. It looks like God is on our side. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. Rabshakeh says this deceitful spirited general starts chiding the people of God and he said you're doomed for failure you're going to be utterly destroyed there's not going to be enough here left to deal with I've just been sent to tell you you better get ready to eat your own waste and drink your own urine you're going to die watch 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 but the reason that it was so insulting for Rabshakeh to stand up and talk to the people of God like that as the Bible said that Rabshakeh was talking to them in Hebrew. He was not talking to them in the Aramaic language. He was talking to them in their language. And he began to take their words and tried to twist those words and tried to twist the meanings of these words to say things that God didn't really feel. Are you listening to me now? So here stands the adversary of the kingdom and he said, your God seems to be blessing us and not you. And for all the purity you're supposed to have, it looks to me like you're struggling and we're being we're thriving. And besides that, we're using the same words as you are, but we're not living the same lifestyle somewhere there was a man sitting on the fringe whose name was Eliakim and the word Eliakim means the one God raised up and Eliakim is sitting on the side and he's listening to old Rabshakeh talking and using all these familiar words he's listening to old Rabshakeh telling the people you're going to fail you're going to die. And something inside of Eliakim rose up. And he looked at that Rabshakeh eye to eye. And he said, excuse me, sir. But if you're going to deal with us, you need to shut up using our words. And start speaking in the Aramaic language. You need to stop using the same phrases. If you don't have the same passion, Eliakim was saying, you are not in covenant with God. You are not what everybody thinks you are. And the score is this. Rabshakeh, if you're not going to walk the walk, you've got to quit talking the talk. Eliakim said, I know what you're doing. You're trying to twist our words and intimidate us with our own words. I know what you're doing. You're trying to take these things that we've always stood for and lived for. And you're trying to warp those things so that we start looking and thinking that maybe 
it's not everything that the preacher said it was. My brothers and sisters, Eliakim stood up with a righteous indignation at that idol-worshiping General Rabshakeh. And he said, you have no right to speak the words when your very nature is opposed to the ways. I've come today to preach to somebody that somewhere the real church has got to stand up and say, I'm not going to be swayed by the contrast. Okay. I'm about to get there. I'm about to get there. I've come tonight to preach to this church. I don't know why God said preach this. And it ain't got nothing to do with nobody but God. I don't know why God did this. But three weeks ago God said, you remind the church. You tell them that in the last days perilous times will come. But God said, remind them that all of those perilous times are not going to come out of the world. All of those perilous times are not going to crawl out of a drug den or a bar room somewhere. Sometimes things that call themselves apostolic, sometimes things that call themselves saved, sometimes the people that say all the right words, they're the ones you've got to watch for. Listen, God said... Remember, it was God that said in the last days there would arise certain men, certain men that crept into the midst of the church, unawares, who don't love this truth like you love this truth. But God said, when these men show up, you've got to be careful. Don't you understand there's a reason why the writer said, though there, there's going to be some trouble in you. Uh, that, that trouble you that are going to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ but though we are an angel from heaven I'm not talking about the sinner I'm not talking about the one on the outside of the church though we are an angel if it's somebody that's saying all the right words and going through all the right motions don't get caught up if they preach any other gospel. Their words sound familiar. But their nature is ungodly. And God said, you let him be accursed. Oh yeah, it don't matter if they use the same words. I'm going to preach a little bit to the church tonight. I realize that a lot of you are a brand new church, but we've got to bring some maturity to some of our understanding tonight. Understand, he said, it don't matter if they use the same words, if their nature is a lie. It don't matter if they use the same words, if there's something in their nature that's not right. That's why Romans said, by good words they deceive the hearts of the simple. Don't get caught up in them just because they sound apostolic. Don't get caught up in them just because they sound religious. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You really want me to preach tonight? God said, He went so far as to say, there are certain which went out from us. You know what God said? He said, they went out from you. They have troubled you. They went out from us who have troubled you with words. Subverting your souls. I've come tonight to preach to the spirit of this apostolic church today and try to find the heartbeat of Rabshakeh 
and tell you that He's still alive and well in our atmosphere. I'm preaching to you about a spirit that wanders in and out of the church and said we're right with God too, but we don't believe all that stuff. You don't need all those old treasures you've been keeping safe in the house of God. You put too much emphasis on purity. I've come today to preach to somebody and tell you there's something that God's got to say to Rabshakeh. I know, I know. Ain't it amazing that Rabshakeh said, give us the golden doors. Give us the gold off the doorposts. Because it's not what's on the outside that really matters anyway. It's really what's on the inside. (laughs) And it's the spirit of Rabshakeh that shoves its ugly spirit in our face. And it says, I'm still right. I still say apostolic words. I'm okay. I know all the apostolic phrases. I'm just fine with God. I know all the words in them apostolic songbooks. I'm just as saved as you are. I still use words that make me sound apostolic. But Rabshakeh, you may use the same words that sound apostolic. But I've come to tell you there is a glory that you'll never touch. Until something rises up. Okay, let's get down where the rubber meets the road. I know, Rabshakeh. I know. You say things like born again. You say things like holy. You say things like worship. I know, Rabshakeh. You say things like revival and soul winning. But Rabshakeh, I've come tonight to preach to you that there's a contrast between your words and your ways. And I am in this pulpit tonight, sin of the Holy Ghost. I am looking. I am seeking. I'm longing. I'm begging for somebody that will stand up with the heart of Eliakim and say, Rabshakeh, you may say all the right words, but you need to know if you can't walk the walk, you've got to quit talking the talk. Hang on, hang Are you listening to what I've got to say today? There's a spirit loosed in the midst of the apostolic church. Thank God for your bishop. Thank God for your pastor. Thank God for these preachers that love this apostolic truth. But I've come to tell you there's a spirit loosed in the midst of the apostolic church that says those old treasures that we've kept safe in the temple, we got to get rid of them. They're not important anymore. And purity is not all that important in the church. We're having revival and we're not doing that. We're holy no matter what we look like. We worship without getting all crazy. We see in souls born again. But they're not weeping on an altar. Rabshakeh, you forgive me today, sir. But I've come with the heart of a lie, Kim, to preach to this church. That somebody's got to stand up against the contrast of words and ways. If you mean born again, you better mean Acts 2.38, Rabshakeh. You didn't hear me, Rabshakeh. If you say born again, you better mean Acts 2.38. 
You're not saved when you shake a preacher's hand. You're not saved when you stand the church row. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit. Uh-huh. Sit down a minute. I got a little something to say to old Rabshakeh tonight. You can be a good man. You can be a church member. You can even love God. But I've come tonight to preach to somebody and say you cannot be in the kingdom of God without being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, Brother White, you don't understand. Bob, you, you, you're just not well versed, preacher. Bible said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Well, that's okay. But the Bible talks about your belief. and <coughs> said, he believeth and is baptized is going to be saved. But he doesn't stop right there. He said, he that believeth out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I'm not trying to be belligerent. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But you are not born again until you're baptized in his name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, Mr. Rabashaka. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to work you up, Rabshaka. <coughs> I know you just came to a good fellowship meeting. You didn't intend to get your spirit offended. But while I'm here, let the spirit of all like him stand up for just a little while. Brother White, I repented. That means I'm saved. You cannot repentance without remission of sins means you just said you're sorry and you didn't do nothing about it. And neither is there remission of sins until you're baptized in His name. What is the name Jesus said I come in my Father's name. I'll send the Comforter in my name. Can repentance without remission save you? Not according to the Bible. Well, Brother White, I repented. But, but, but I didn't get the Holy Ghost. Repentance without regeneration cannot save you. I'm sorry, Mr. Abshaka. I know you're sitting there thinking you all sanctified, saved, and holy. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. You're not saved until you go down in the water. In Jesus' name. You can't be born again until you're born of the water. And you're born of the Spirit, Rabshakeh. If you're not going to have His ways, you better let go of His Word. You're not born again until you're born of the water. I'm sorry. I said, I don't want to hurt your feelings tonight. But I got one more for you, Rabshakeh. I got a little issue with you, sir. You run around here talking about revival. Revival this. Revival that. Man, we had revival. 
had 8,732,418 people got filled with the Holy Ghost last night. I'm not against all that. You know, I believe God can do all that stuff. Thank God for it. I've seen God fill people hand over fist. I watched God fill 5,000 people in the Philippines in a matter of about 10 minutes. I'm not against all of that. But sir, if you're going to call it revival, if you're going to say revival, you better mean a genuine move of God and not just a good program. All right, let me preach a little bit. Real revival is not a series of good services where the preacher really preaches. <laughs> Real revival is not disgruntled saints leaving a church that preaches holiness and running to some weak as water environment. That's not real revival. Real revival is not some good music program or some lively choir. I want to tell you what real revival is. Real revival is a touch of God that crawls out of the prayer room. Real revival is a spirit of repentance that puts us on our faces again. Real revival is a love for God's ways that makes us walk tender. Real revival is a heart of humility that throws down all of our pride in His presence. Real revival is a spirit of conviction that brings backsliders in the door because saints have been on the altar. Real revival is forgetting protocol and reaching for God in the middle of the announcements, reaching for God in the middle of the song service. Real revival is falling in love with God's Word and God's man that brings it. Let me just preach to you, Rabshakeh. You can scream revival till the cows come home, sir. But real revival is soggy carpets. Real revival are tear-stained faces. Real revival are soaked altars. Real revival's loving your brother. Real revival's forgiving the hurts. Real revival's returning to God with humility. Real revival's returning to God with tenderness. Real rev- God revival is returning to God with reverence. Real revival is returning to God with conviction. God forgive us for falling in love with programs instead of the touch of God. I've got kicking music in my church. I've got music that will thump and jump all night long. But I'm telling you, God forgive us for falling in love with the music instead of the feeling of God's touch. God forgive us for falling in love with sermons instead of a fresh word from God. God forgive us for falling in love with entertainment instead of God's anointing. Rabshakeh, don't you say it's revival and call it a move of God when there's no way that God's going to be found in the midst of it. It's a contrast of words and ways. I've got to hurry. Rabshakeh, I want to take it a step further. Don't say worship if you don't mean passion instead of performance. Son, I'm not firing at you. I love all that business. If I skinny as you, I'd do that. And if I'd do that, I'd probably skinny as you. So I'm I'm not against all of that. But I want to tell every young preacher in this building, you better get something in your spirit right now. Knowing how to dance is only performance if you're not dancing in the spirit. 
Is this all right? I've come today to tell somebody eloquent singing is just a performance unless it's taking you out of your heart and worshiping God with everything you've got. Knowing when to lift your hands is a performance. Sad truth. Sit down just a minute. We've got the best singers in the world. We've got the best singers in the world. Brother Cox, we've got the best preachers in the world. But I'm going to tell this church what the besetting sin of Pentecost is going to be. We've become so skilled in the apostolic church that we've learned how to come into the house of God and respond when it's expected of us. And sing whatever moves the people most. And we've learned to say whatever it takes to get the people excited. And we've learned to bring enough quality to merit some kind of reaction. My brothers and my sisters, hear me. Somebody has got to stand on their feet and tell all the choreographed fat chicks that it's not about praise dancing to choreography. It's about praising Him from a pure heart. Here a while back, sit down just a minute. Here a while back, they asked me to be a part of a, a uh, meeting. Let's just leave it at that. Asked me to be a part of a meeting. And they said, Brother White, we're going to do this thing right. We're going to bring this group in. Some, they're good. And they said, you ain't never seen nothing like this. Said they'll have the crowd screaming and hopping. You know what? I love the crowd screaming and hopping. You think they don't scream and hop at my church? Come to one Sunday night service. They'll swing on the ceiling fans. They'll kick the brick walls at you sneezing on it. They'll do the Watusi. They said, we got this. We got some really anointed entertainment coming in. And when they said it, Brother Booth. Something, brother, something rose up inside me. I said, you got what? They said, we got some really anointed entertainment coming in. And I said, now, let, let me get this straight. It's anointed entertainment. They, oh, yeah. I said, man, it'll shake you. I said, can I tell you that anointing and entertainment can't be said in the same sentence? Entertainment works on appealing to the carnal flesh of man. But anointing only works on the spirit of a man. Can I preach like I want to preach tonight? If it's real worship, it's going to give more glory to God than it is a personality. If it's real worship, your focus will be on the master and not on some musician. If it's real worship, you'll shake your soul more than you shake your booty. If it's real worship, it'll draw you closer to God than it does those old spirits. Settle it. Settle it in your heart. If it's real worship, it's going to be real tears that move your soul. And I'm all shot. If it's real worship, it's going to be real dancing. 
that sucks you out of a pew like your pastor said tonight. If it's real worship, it's going to be real humility that lays your pride down in God's presence. If it's real worship, it's going to be real hunger reaching for more. That doesn't come from performance. That only comes from worship. I feel such a presence of worship in this house right now. I feel the Lord telling me it's time for somebody to lift your hands up and worship with perfect unity. Worship with holy hands. Worship. Hallelujah. Sit down a minute. We're going to worship again, but the Lord just spoke to me. And the Lord said that I've got to preach to this congregation for a few more minutes. You listen to me. There's a dimension of worship that comes when you've been entertained. It's the little ta-ta-ta. Oh, but when that worship is driven by a hunger for God, it cries out, Jesus! I love you! I wish somebody had a hunger! I wish you had a hunger! Worship! Hunger! 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 The Lord would have me preach to this church that real worship does more than impress your flesh. It impacts your soul. It does more than make you happy. It makes you humble. It does more than involve your body. It involves your heart. It does more than entertain your senses. It anoints your spirit. Rabshakeh, I'm looking for just Eliakim in this house. Come on, young preachers. Son, I'm not the kid preaching these camps anymore. I'm not, Brother Booth, I'm not this kid with all the vinegar in me. We need some of your age. We need some. I need some of you young preachers out there that'll stand up with the spirit of Eliakim, that'll let this world know that preaching that's a performance is worthless. Singing that's a performance is not worship. Music that's a performance is futile. Lifted hands and casual prayers that's a performance is not. Worship. I can't get away from it. Sister Cox, I can't get away from it. There's a hunger in this spirit right now. There's a hunger I feel in the heart of this church. There's a hunger in the heart of this church. 
There's somebody in here sitting in your seat right now, but you don't want to be. There's somebody in this place right now. You're sitting there with your hand over your mouth, with your fingers folded together, but you don't want to be because you want the spirit of Eliakim. You want to be the one that God raises up to say it's got to be hunger. Don't you show me your stinking contrast of words and ways. If you're going to say holy, you better mean separated from the world. One of the first things the Assyrians did, Brother Booth, is they said, we want all the remnants of battles already won. All those things you carried away when you walked here, Cabo all those things you carried off the battlefields in your early walk with God. We want them. We want the purity stripped from the doorpost and the door ripped off the hinges. It's the spirit of this age that screams in our face that said the best way to take the pressure off the church is to let down on this and get that be carried away and let them have the door. After all, we don't need all that stuff. Well, Rabbi Shaka, let me preach to a young man in here that thinks you're not really sold on this. Before you decide to carry some of the precious treasures this apostolic church stands for, you better remember somebody came off a battlefield you never walked on. Somebody came out of a prayer meeting. Somebody came out of a prayer meeting you didn't have to pray over. Somebody carried some things out and said, if you'll leave this alone, you're going to be okay. If you'll keep that out of your house, you're going to be all right. If you'll stay sanctified in that, you're going to make it. Huh? Well, let me just help you tonight. Before some of you start saying, I don't think we need to make an issue out of these elements of holiness. Let me just help you by telling you are some things in the apostolic church we do not preach because it's spelled out verbatim in the Word of God. There are some things, some stands that your man of God has to take not because it's spelled out in black and white and said thou shalt not smoke crack cocaine. But I want to tell you where it came from. There were some men of God that walked on a battlefield one day and when they got done defeating their devil they said the best way to keep the victory is to keep that out of your spirit. Keep that out of your heart. I come against the spirit of Rabshakeh tonight. That spirit that says, you know what? That stuff don't matter anyway. They say to the shame of the church, we're going to rip the purity off the outside because the inside's all that matters. I've come to tell you today, let Eliakim speak to you, sir. Don't you call it holiness if it's not separated from the world. How can they do it? How can some of these young jerks come up and rip the gold off our doorpost and carry away some of these precious stands that we've had for years? How can they do it? How can some of these young punks 
cross sign. It's not just young men. It's others. How can they come into the church and they can start ripping and tearing and gnawing away at everything the church has ever stood for? You want to know why? Because there's no fear of God in their spirit. And let me tell you why there's no fear of God. The Bible said that one man saw him in the word of God. And when they looked at him holy, he fell to the ground as dead. I want to tell you, hang on to me for just a minute. I'm going to tell you what this generation needs. I'm not talking about backhanding standards every time you walk in the pulpit. I'm not talking about some brute beast that all he knows how to do is to get up and preach standards and thinks that's all there is to the word. If you're doing that, you need to get saved, sir. You need to pray through. But I want to tell you we got, why we got people that are doing everything they want to do and justifying it all. Because they don't know how holy he really is. Because when you stand in his holiness, you feel small. When you stand in his holiness, you feel insignificant. And the reason some men can touch and rip and tear the gold off our doorpost is because they don't see Him as holy anymore. But I charge you to understand, this is the God that said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. When you see His holiness, you fall down like a dead man. When you see His holiness... You tremble in His presence. When you see His holiness, there's something in you that's fearful to move for fear that God will strike. Can I just preach a little bit? I know I've preached too long. I know I need to shut down, but hear me! Southern Indiana. When I walked into the church for the booth, my hair was almost to my waist. I was a mess. I was a mess. But I stood in the midst of all them young people. We had wooden floors in them days. We were still on the other side of the tracks. And all them chicks in that church wore high heels. And all of a sudden the presence of God started moving. And honest to God, it sounded like a herd of woodpeckers went to, to beating on that floor. You could hear it. They all got to shouting and bobby pins got to flying. And at first, Brother McDaniel, I started giggling because I had never seen nobody act like that. I've been in bars and ain't never seen nobody act like that. I was raised in tavern. My grandparents owned a tavern, had my first barroom brawl when I was 14 years old, but I'd never seen nothing like that. And the first thing I started to do was giggle until all of a sudden I felt something sweep over my soul. And I stood there with it all in His presence. I stood there trembling. Just about the time I thought I need to get out of here, suddenly there was a message in tongues. My brother, I'd never seen nothing like that in my whole life. Only people I'd ever seen like that, they carried off in straitjackets. Oh, but when God stepped in that house, I was a sinner. I was a sinner. I was a rank sinner. But I was scared to move. Because even as a sinner, I felt his holiness. Oh, brother God, that this generation could feel his holiness settle on us again. It's more than your sleeve length. 
It's more than your skirt length. It's more than your hair length. If you ever become holy, that means I still relate to the holiness of God. Throw your hands up and touch that holiness right now. <laughs> holy, 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 holy. I know, I know, I've been doing this a long time, Brother Booth, I've preached right at 4,500 times now. And I know when a man talks about holiness, Brother Lyle, that's when the church is supposed to tighten up. That's when everybody's supposed to feel a little uncomfortable. But you know what ought to happen in this house today? There ought to be something rise up inside of this congregation that weeps. Because when you see him holy, you see yourself so tidy. When you see him holy... You see yourself so insignificant. Oh, that God would let holiness be more than a club to beat us with. Oh, that God could show us the ladder that holiness is that carries us higher. I feel the Holy Ghost shifting in here right now. I want you to stand to your feet and pray in the spirit of holiness right now. That's it. Come on, I beg you. I'm begging this church touch His holiness. Touch His holiness until you feel small. Until you feel weak. Until you feel humble. Touch His holiness. Can I close tonight with this? Rabshaka, if music will come, Rabshaka, if you're going to say souls, you better mean sacrifice. I so admire you, Brother Cox, because four years ago, I had a hurricane come through that leveled my church. 
And for four years now, my brother, I have fought hell. For two years, I fought insurance companies. For, for two and a half, almost three years, I fought insurance companies. Finally, Brother Morgan, after that third year when they settled, the loan company said, let's go. I don't know if I've baptized 54 people in the last four years. I'll pray people through. And I've got to run them to my bathtub because we don't even have a baptistry. And I'll take them in my bathtub, my baptistry, my, 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 my swimming pool. And I'll baptize them. But you know what I've learned over the last 30 years of ministry? I've learned that souls will never come cheap. You've got to sacrifice your ego. You've got to sit with tears running down your face. You've got to make yourself vulnerable. No matter how much you want to win the loss, no matter how many gimmicks you use, no matter how long you've worked on their soul or how desperately you want them to be saved, there is no soul winning without sacrifice. Somewhere you've got to stand like I stand in this pulpit tonight willing to sacrifice your pride to reach their soul. To sacrifice your ego to let them know that you care. Hey ma'am, if you don't have the Holy Ghost just as surely as God opened a blind eye a week ago tonight, He can fill you with the Holy Ghost right now. You've got to sacrifice your time enough to let them know you love sacrifice your reputation to let them think you're crazy you got to sacrifice your tears because sometimes it takes travail you got to sacrifice your comfort because god may reach for you at strange times sometimes you got to sacrifice your dignity because loving souls means you've got to lose your own emotions and i stand in this place tonight to tell you that the words in this sermon We're not contrasted with God's ways. I'm standing here telling you he's a soul winner. And he loves you. And God's reaching for somebody right now. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. His holiness should move us. His holiness should shake us. But somewhere tonight there's somebody in this building that needs God. Somebody that needs the Holy Ghost. I'm begging you to come right now. I'm pleading with you to step out of your pew. So I need this church right now to take somebody by the hand. And I need you to make your way to this altar. And lift your hands up because He's a great God. He's a great God. He's a great God. Come on, bring somebody. Bring somebody to pray right now. Come on, darling. I see God dealing with you. 